the first person I fired, it took me three weeks. And I remember for two weeks, I like, I lost sleep over it and I was so nervous. Um, and then you realize that, you know, some people just don't work out. Not everyone is fit for every job. And you kind of realize that, you know, sometimes it is an opportunity for the other person to move on and do something else. So that was one of the learnings for me for sure. This is Made at McGill, an origin story podcast about McGill University's makers, aka entrepreneurs and innovators. How did these students, researchers, and alumni figure out how to make the world a better place? Well, it's complicated, but keep listening. It's a good story. This show is brought to you by the McGill Dobson Center for Entrepreneurship. Our mission is to inspire, teach, and develop world-class entrepreneurs. You can learn more at mcgill.ca slash Dobson. This episode is brought to you by Interac, Canada's leading payment brand. Interac has chosen an average of 16 million times daily to pay and exchange money. To learn more, visit interac.ca. I'm your host, Mo Akif, and on today's show, our guest is Anna Sheaf. She's a co-founder and chief strategy and product officer at Dialog, Canada's leading telehealth company. Dialog provides progressive, premium, and affordable virtual health care to Canadian businesses for their employees, accessible on mobile and online. This past summer, they raised a $40 million Series B financing round to expand to other markets, including Europe. Previously, Anna had founded Anna Cuisine, which was a healthy meal delivery service, and before that, she was at McKinsey. Our conversation spans across transferable skills she developed while at McKinsey, lessons she learned with her previous startup, the founding story of Dialogue, and some of the exciting products they recently launched. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Anna. I want to start at the beginning of your career. Um... Right after you graduated from McGill, you went on to McKinsey. What are the top two to three skills you learned there that continue to serve you as chief strategy and product officer at Dialogue today? Mm -hmm. I think the first thing I've learned is this idea of taking a very complex problem and deconstructing it into smaller bite-sized pieces and solving one piece at a time to then get to the solution of the bigger and more complex problem. And I think that's applicable both in a startup, but also in my life, whenever I'm faced with something that sounds huge, um, I typically go, okay, what is the first step? How are we solving this? How are we structuring this? And then how do I go about solving it? I think that's definitely something I took from from McKinsey. Um, The second point is around getting to the real insights of whatever information that you get. And so, you know, if we ask a question and we're looking for an answer, I think it's really important that we always ask ourselves, okay, so what? So what does this mean for us? Um, You know, if we're looking at competitive landscape, for example, today, and we're learning something, you know, so what? If somebody is reducing the price, what does this really mean for us? Is that because, you know, their product is not as good as ours? Or is this because there's a competitive pressure in the market? And depending on the answer, you know, the way you react to it is different. And I think kind of pushing ourselves to always get to the to the, to the last kind of why is that important is also something that McKinsey has always focused on. Um, and then the last one is around surrounding ourselves and myself with really amazing, incredible people. Um, you know, McKinsey goes 
over and above um, in hiring outstanding talent. And that is why the company has so much success. And that's something, I mean, the first process we've ever put together at Dialogue, we were still just a few people. Um, we didn't have a name and we had a hiring process that was, you know, structured and lengthy and selected for eight players. And I think that our success today is, 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 is a result of the high quality um, team that we've put together. Thank you. Um, so after that, you did go on to start this company and many students would like to start a business one day, but not right after graduation. And for those students, how highly would you recommend consulting and why? Yeah. So look, I mean, consulting worked for me um, and I wouldn't change that experience ever. Um, I learned a lot and it wasn't an easy experience all the time. Um, there was a lot of skills I had to develop. Um, and, and working with outstanding people really pushes you to get better fast. And so that to me was really great because that's something that still follows me today. Now, the risk of working with outstanding people um, and being in a very kind of prestigious position is to stay too long. And I truly believe that you become what you do. And so if you kind of stay there too long, the alternative of kind of going back to starting from scratch and going from a very prestigious job to being on the phone calling your first clients and no one wanting to buy from you is tough. So the longer you wait, the harder it becomes. Um, so I would say for those entrepreneurs at heart who do decide to go to a consulting firm, um, don't stay there too long or, or, or keep yourself honest um, that you need to kind of get out and, and test something. And you always have the option to go back, I think. Um, but, but yeah, I think remaining true to that passion of starting a business is, is important. Now, for a few years after your time at McKinsey, before Dialogue, you built a company called Anna Cuisine. Can you think of any learnings from building Anna Cuisine that helped you avoid making, uh, making similar mistakes at Dialogue? Yeah. I mean, so many. That was my first real entrepreneurial experience. And I've, um, I mean, every, all kind of, all my first instincts, instincts come from there, um, from, you know, uh, you know, hiring incredible, you know, people and, and, and also letting them go or firing. Um, I remember, you know, I had, uh, the first person I fired, it took me three weeks. And I remember for two weeks, I like, I lost sleep over it and I was so nervous. Um, and then you realize that, you know, some people just don't work out. Not everyone is fit for every job. And you kind of realize that, you know, sometimes it is an opportunity for the other person to move on and do something else. So that was one of the learnings for me for sure. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it's, it's something that you kind of, you develop in, in your career. Um, the second one is kind of the, 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 the benefits of just kind of hustling and, and being creative about things. So I remember, um, so at some point we were looking for a central kitchen to uh, deliver and, and to, to, you know, to, uh, to assemble the food and then deliver out of it. And, um, and so I was like, where, where do I find a central kitchen? Nothing really available online. And so one day I was driving in my car and I saw a truck um, that um, 
that had like some catering brand on it. And I was like, well, surely if they're doing catering, there's got to be a space they're working out of. So maybe I can ask them. And so I followed that truck up until where they went. And then I walked in and I was like, hey, you know, can I speak to, I, I can't remember who I asked, like maybe the president or maybe like, I don't remember. And I was like, I need to speak with someone. I ended up speaking to the president of that um, catering company and um, I got a central kitchen out of that. So that was, you know, great. And I just think that sometimes following our gut and some of these things that kind of sound weird or crazy can actually lead to so many benefits. Um, and then the last one is, so I read this um, amazing book called The Lean Startup, which I really recommend to all entrepreneurs. Um, and it helped me um, not, so the, the idea behind Anna Cuisine was to, um, to, to launch restaurants that were healthy, delicious, um, and mostly automated. And so before doing that and having read that book, I actually decided to start, start, start to deliver food and actually see, do people even like it and so on. And, and so this notion of, you know, iterating on an idea and then on a process is, is the third thing that I think is, was a really big learning. Okay. Um, now I want to move on to the founding story of Dialogue. First of all, why did you found Dialogue? Yeah. I mean, when I think back to the beginning of Dialogue, I really think about it as a, you know, as an alignment of stars. Um, Diagram was getting started, the, the, you know, telehealth fit within their model. Um, my co-founder Sharif back then, um, was, you know, interested in, 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 in doing something else. I mean, he was getting, um, he had a startup in, in the health uh, tech space, and then he was looking at other things. And, um, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and I was at the beginning, I was just giving a hand, um, until I realized that this was, this was it. Um, at the same time, I was taking care of, um, uh, a family member who was in palliative care. And I remember how hard it was for her to receive care. Um, when we had questions, there was no advice provided on the phone by her doctor. And when she needed to get seen, we had to bring her to the emergency room, which was extremely inconvenient. And, and I think, you know, that was the motivator to me personally back then. But I think today it's still something that, you know, still motivates me. You know, we have, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patients every day. And sometimes I think about them like, you know, some of these people wouldn't have had an alternative otherwise. Um, and I think that's still to me personally what gets me up and going every single day. Could you quickly describe Dialogue for, for people who don't know about it? Yeah. So Dialogue is a telemedicine platform. And in most basic terms, what it is, it's an application that allows for an individual to consult a medical professional via an app within minutes. So, and, and those professionals are nurses, nurse practitioners, doctors. And so somebody starts, um, goes onto the app, completes a quick questionnaire. It's actually an AI based questionnaire. So we remove this, you know, notion of human bias, um, um, as part of the diagnosis and then patients see the right resources. So somebody who comes in and let's say, uh, has pain somewhere, we'll see a doctor, uh, a new mom will come in with, you know, breast for breastfeeding advice. She'll see a nurse. Um, and so the patient basically gets redirected to the right next step. Um, and then we always follow up on all medical issues to make sure that we close the loop. And for people that we can treat virtually, let's say we do need to look into your ear or listen to your lungs, 
while we have a, a team in place that will redirect these patients and help them find, you know, an appointment in a clinic or, you know, provide um, kind of advice on which emergency room to go to uh, that has the, you know, the least wait times. Um, so in a nutshell, that's a service. That's a service that's available only to employers and is offered by leading employers as a benefit to their employees and their family members. Now, earlier you described, uh, you talked about Diagram. Could you quickly describe uh, Diagram Ventures and what role they played in helping you dialogue? Yeah, so Diagram is um, a, a venture creator. So what that means is that they would often, you know, have an idea, it, it kind of MVP it or iterate on it, and then assemble a team around it. And that team kind of actually takes that, you know, idea and, and deploys it. Um or they work, you know, they can't start with like a, a theme and then the, there's a team that's assembled and then they help kind of bring that idea to market. And the way they do that is obviously capital is one. So just like a normal VC, they would invest. Um, what's really interesting is that their seed investment is is there's there's a set amount, but it's deployed based on your ability to attain certain milestones. So it kind of keeps you, you know, accountable and moving with a with a good pace. Um, they also provide resources. So you know, we had help on strategy, on recruitment, and other sort of um, also all other kind of sort of. Uh, resources. We, you know, we had their CFO who helped us uh, with our, you know, very first financial models before we even had a team internally. Um, you know, their head of talent recruited probably the first 70 employees. Um, so, so there's the kind of the resource component. And then the last one is, you know, opening doors, opening doors with insurers, within companies and so on. And so we could test our, our, our product you know, um, with, with their help in, you know, in, in getting to, to some, some clients. Okay. Um, so at the time of this recording, it's the end of November, but in October, so just about a month ago on world mental health day, you launched phase two of your mental health program. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, we, uh, in addition to, to, to having the primary care telemedicine, we launched a specialized mental health program. And the reason we started kind of even thinking about it in the first place is that a lot of our clients started coming up to us and saying, Hey, our employees are using the service. They love dialogue. And we have this additional problem where, you know, our, 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 our disability claims are going up primarily di driven by mental health issues. And, you know, we're offering kind of yoga during lunchtime and, you know, all sorts of other flexible arrangements, but our mental health issues are not going down. What can you guys do? And back then we started researching what truly kind of reduces and drives improvements in mental health. And we've built a program following the best practices that we found through research across the world. And so what it is, is a multi, is a, um, the program starts with screening of all employees. And then for those employees who need mental health support, they have a multidisciplinary team that follows them up until remission or until symptom improvement. And that could be, you know, doctors, psychotherapists, nurses, whatever the right mix of people are. And they all communicate to adapt treatment in order to accelerate improvement for that patient. 
And so if you think about kind of the, the public system today, often you have to search for your own psychologist, you have to search for your own doctor, they rarely talk to each other. And so this is all about having a close-knit team that follows the, the, the employee, but also an assigned case manager who follows up with a patient every single week to know how they're doing. And we remove kind of this notion of willpower, so we're not counting on someone's willpower when they have depression. But we're, we're going to follow up every single week. We're almost like an accountability partner or a friend on the other side that really cares. And that brings a lot of, um, that, that's very, very positive in terms of, you know, bringing someone to remission quickly. So, so that's, the, that's the mental health program. We launched it with a few clients for the first year. And now the program is available to any employer. Okay. Uh, earlier, you mentioned AI, and recently you announced you'll be expanding your AI-powered clinical decision support technology internationally. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we uh, acquired, oh, all over a year ago now, um, a tool that allows for smart triage and diagnosis. And that tool was built by four emergency physicians uh, based on over 16,000 peer-reviewed articles. And the goal is to remove bias when triage is done. If you think about you know, doctors making a diagnosis, there's actually, you know, better or kind of improved percentage of a doctor, you know, making the right diagnosis if they're, you know, if they're in a better mood, if they're less hungry. So if you can kind of imagine, you know, diagnosis today, there is some human bias. And so the way that our kind of our, our intake or our triage is set up is to remove that bias. And sometimes we ask questions that can cover very rare conditions that, you know, maybe doesn't don't come top of mind. But so that way, when the patient gets to the, to the doctor, they actually have a, 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 a summary um, of what, you know, what was said during that triage and potential recommendations. And this also allows our nurses to dispatch the person to the right next step. So somebody who needs breastfeeding advice, as I was mentioning earlier, doesn't need to see a doctor but they need to see a nurse who has worked with parents or with mothers in the past who can help. Um, so that's the first one. I mean, our, our, um, our, our tool is used in, in the SHUM, so that's the largest emergency room in, in, uh, in Quebec. Um, and we do have plans, yeah, expanding this tool internationally. There's a lot of interest in it um, across the world, and, and I know that you know, we'll, be, we'll be growing with that um, in the future. Um, the last topic I want to touch on is education. So you, you mentioned uh, reading and loving the Lean Startup. Can you think of some other examples of ways in which you continue to invest in your own education? Um, I mean, working at Dialogue is a great education. <laughs> but no, but I think uh, above that, so I, I love reading. I love books. And the um, there's actually an app that truly changed my life, and it's called Audible. Um, and so it's basically audiobooks and you can kind of fast forward it and listen to it fast. And I am very auditive. So I actually register a lot of information, um, by listening. And so when I kind of go for a run, I listen to books when I go for a walk or walk over to work, I listen to books and, and that has really been something that has been a big plus at, since discovering that, that app over a year and a half ago. Um, you know, I was able to put, I don't know, like maybe 30, 50 books. And that's not a pace I was able to keep up when I was just, you know, reading physical books. Um, I, I, I think that's, 
the main, that's the main one. And you can cover so many topics and there's so many books in, on that and that app. So that's definitely one. You should please make some recommendations. Like what, what, what were some of the books that, that really had an impact on you? Whether they're fiction or nonfiction. Yeah. Okay. So, so many books. Um, um, so one that I, so some of the recent ones, one is a book called getting things done. It's a methodology on being kind of productive and capturing everything that you want to do, both present, but also future and potential, um, you know, he calls it someday, maybe opportunities, but all those things as, as entrepreneurs, you want to solve so many problems. Um, but he actually has a methodology to not forget any of that. And, and, and it's great because following that methodology makes you, you know, 10 X more, more efficient. Um, that's one. Another one for people who do go into um, tech entrepreneurship is a book called Inspired by Marty Kagan. Um, it's around product management. It's, it's, and it's about the method of product management, but I think it's a lot around product development, how to iterate and test ideas. Um, so that's a really good one. Um, and let's say a third one, just so that I kind of get to three at least. Um, there's a book called Atomic Habits. It's probably the best book I've read around setting habits and sticking to them. And it's around, you know, um, it's much more around working on your identity and how to decide what what you're doing and setting very, very small, regular goals um, rather than kind of setting big objectives such as I want to run a marathon. Then you kind of get to that point and then you're done. So Atomic Habits by James Clear is, is, is a third one. So the first and the third one, I think everyone will totally understand. For the second one, can you describe what a, a product manager might do at Dialog? Yeah. So a product manager has is 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 think about it as a mini CEO within a company. So it's somebody who is accountable for the success of a product. So um, think about it, you know, a dialogue, for example. So let's talk about you know a, a product manager for the mental health program. Well, your job is to Think about the PL. So, how much revenue am I able to generate with this product? And that means working with a sales team, making sure there is enough training material to train that sales team, um, you know, preparing uh, the materials and so on and going into sales pitches. Then it's all about executions and costs. And so, from an operational standpoint, what is it? How do we measure it? Um, it's also looking at competition and defining what are we doing, what are we not doing. Um, it's about positioning it when we speak about it um, in the in the in the in the market or to to clients, but also to you know in, in conferences. So it's really someone who thinks about every single function and how that product will be um, supported by every single function and making sure that the efforts are coordinated and then also working closely with the tech team in order to make sure that there is a clear plan, there is a roadmap for that product, it um, evolves and that there's enough resources, technical resources that are working on it. What does the roadmap and timeline look like? So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very broad and complex role. Um, but I know that there's a lot, a lot of really brilliant um, students and also very, very brilliant professionals who choose to go into that direction just because of the nature, um, the, the, the wide scope and, and the complexity of the role. Any asks for the audience? Are you hiring or is there anything else you would want to ask people to do? 
Yeah, um, definitely hiring and definitely interested in, you know, having brilliant McGill uh, students who are curious and you want, you know, want to give us a call or, 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 or look up what, what we have. Uh, sometimes students just reach out and say, hey, like, is there anything, you know, here's my profile. So that's definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of ex-McGillians here or I guess, ex- yeah, ex-McGillians. Um, so, so that's definitely one. Um, the other one is, you know, if, 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 if anyone listening has friends or family working in HR or in finance or leading some companies in, in Canada who have the well-being of their employees at heart, speak to them about dialogue, speak to them about our primary care service and about our mental health service. Um, because I think it's a service that's really loved by employees. And where can people find out more about Dialogue? Uh, So Dialogue.co, and we're Dialogue Technologies on LinkedIn, on Facebook, so uh, yeah, on all the social medias. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Hey, it's Mo. I hope you enjoyed that story. If you want easier access to upcoming episodes of Made at McGill, I recommend you subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you use. Also, do you have a wantrepreneur in your life? Maybe your Uncle Bill, who's always talking about his grand business ideas. Consider this. Find one episode in this podcast that you think could give them a slight push. The little nudge that they need to begin their journey as a maker. And have them listen to that episode. And if Uncle Bill ends up turning into the next Bill Gates, who changes the world and along the way becomes a genius billionaire philanthropist, hey, you can take all the credit. Thanks for listening.